Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live, Multispeed Technologies, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you this hour as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour. Let's go to the phone, 855-450-NOAH. It's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Lyle calls from Georgia. Hey, Lyle, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. That's you. Oh, am I on the air, Noah? You are, sir. How are we doing? Hey, this is Lyle from Georgia. I met you at the cell a few years ago. Die, doctor? Yes, sir. You might not remember. I do. Okay. I do, anyway, yeah. Anyway, I've called him before. Love the show. Yeah. <laughs> we talk about you all the time. I said, Noah says this. Uh, you know, Noah says it's the gospel. <laughs> and and don't turn, don't, 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 I just yeah, have to say, yeah, don't yeah. turn my name into a cuss word in your house, though. There's, a, I've, I've met a couple of spouses. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I've met a couple of spouses over the years, and they tell me, they say, yeah, you know, my, my husband talks about it all the time. And he says, well, Noah says we have to use this system. Noah says we have to install it this way. Noah says, it's like, if I hear Noah says one more time, I'm like, I'm sorry. Oh, maybe you can tell the story on the air again about how you when did your wife that got locked out of the house with the RF sensors? <laughs> yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah I she... Think people would love to hear that again. That that's really a good story. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we actually we talked yeah, about that just a couple of weeks ago on on our automation episode. Oh, I missed that. <sighs> we'll get you a link. I, I listen to most of them. Yeah. Oh, you know. Well, I have, yeah, that's a funny story. It's really funny. Uh, my office has, uh, we have the domain from GoDaddy. It's visionsavers.biz. Okay. And I really don't want to set up email and do all that jazz, but I'd like to, we've got so many like free accounts, and I want to just forward it to my Gmail account. Is that possible? Absolutely. So you don't want to, so there's, there's, there's two ways to use Gmail with the work account. The first way is the quote unquote proper way, and that would be to um, uh, to essentially purchase a G Suite account and then add the MX records that point to to Gmail. And then so your email is you know my name at mydomain.com, and 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 Google actually quote unquote owns the mail addresses for that domain. What you're talking about is you're saying I want to create my free email account at gmail.com, and then I just want emails that are are getting sent to my name at domain.com to be forwarded to that free email account, right? Uh, let me say it again. I've, I've got my e- when I bought my site, Vision Savers, whatever, at GoDaddy, it says I have so many email accounts. And I want okay. to forward that email account to Gmail. I got you. And those are provided for you by GoDaddy for free? Yes. Okay. I'm I'm with well, you I'm now. I paid for them in my thing. Yeah. But yeah. I'm with you. So uh, I don't want to be checking 10 different emails, and I would hardly ever get one, but I hate to send out a business email and say, blah, 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 my CPA, whatever, whoever she is, you know, at Gmail. That doesn't seem professional. Right. 
Yeah, there is a way to do that. So the first thing to be aware of is that when you do this, essentially it's called email aliasing. And it, it's absolutely possible. The only issue is there are some domains that are um, really picky about accepting email from alias domains because obviously it spoofers use this and, and people that try to do malicious things use this as a tactic um, to try to make something look like it came from amazon.com or ebay.com or paypal.com, right? The reality is that there's not a lot there's not a lot of inherent security inside of email. It really was a system that we have hung on to for far longer than we probably should have and really predates any modern IT security practices. And so for that reason, um, there are, are a lot of email service providers that are a little hesitant to accept email from email email illicit. For a second. Mm -hmm. Why is it email secure? Is this HTTPS and has the lock symbol when I'm on Gmail? Yeah. I, oh, so I, I, yes, email is secure enough. Um, we have found ways essentially to muddle our way through some of these issues. Lyle is really what it amounts to. It's the system was created and we realized that we had to hang on to the email standard. We needed some better security practices. And so we've hacked on a bunch of stuff and put up a bunch of lacquer. So you don't really notice how terribly antiquated email really is. But all of that to say that we don't like, so in a modern day system if we were to recreate email from the ground up we would probably have a key pair system so when you have an email address your email signs everything with a public key and uh, or signs it with a private key and everybody else has your public key and so you would know an email actually came from amazon because it would be signed with a key and obviously we can add that on we can hack that on afterwards but it's not required your email client doesn't require a key to be present before it will accept an email and that's kind of taking away from your actual question but it, it sets it up pretty well to say that the reason that some of this is problematic is because email is an antiquated system. But directly to answer your question, yes, it's possible. The way that you go about doing this, so when you log into GoDaddy, in, you, you, one of the things that you can do is you can say, create free email aliases, and they give you 99 for default, by default, and then you can create another 99 if you fill them all up, which I never had a client do, but it's possible. Um, and once you create those aliases, then what you would do is you would forward them to Gmail. Now, I'm guessing by the way you asked me the question, that part you already figured out. Your question is, when I go to send email inside of Thunderbird or whatever, how do I make it so that it appears that that email can't, comes from my name at mydomain.com? Okay. Am, am I understanding that right? I didn't, I didn't, yeah, no, I forgot that one, but you're right. How am I going to make it look like it came from me? Okay, so the first thing that you've got to do is inside of inside of Google or, or Gmail, you've got to go in there and under the settings, you have to add an identity. And so you'll add the identity as my name at my my account or my domain .com. And then what you'll do is when you go into Thunderbird, it's going to the first account setup is going to ask you for your name. It's going to ask you for your email in that you'll put the email that you want to show up on the from side. So you, you'll put in your name is Lyle last name, and then under email, you'll put in Lyle at lylesdomain.com or whatever. And then you'll enter your Gmail password and click next. Thunderbird will automatically try to configure Thunderbird to connect using your domain, and it's going to fail. We expect it to. And at that point, we go down and say, I'll specify my own servers. In the IMAP server, you're going to put imap.googlemail.com. In the SMPTP server, you're going to put smtp.googlemail.com. And then for the username, you'll put your Gmail usernames, the full email address in there. So, you know, my Gmail at gmail.com, whatever it is. And then you put your Gmail password in there. And when at that point, when you click to authenticate, now it's going to connect and authenticate into Gmail. Now, again, 
just to recap quickly, three things have to be present. You have to have added that identity in Google. In the Thunderbird setup, during the initial setup, when it asks you for your account, you have to put in the email that you want to show up in the from side, and you have to use your Gmail credentials, your real Gmail credentials, to authenticate. And if you do those three things, when you send an email, it's going to show that that email came from lylesdomain.com, even though it's actually using the Gmail system and you're not paying for Gmail. Cool. I have one more question. Yeah, shoot. I'm glad this is recording. Uh, my CPA name is Connie, so I can say that so she can hear her name. And uh, we want all those offices, QuickBooks data files, about 400 megs each to sync to somewhere, some computer in her house every day because it makes a backup at the end of every day in QuickBooks. What's the best way, the easiest way, not the best way, the easiest, don't say Dropbox, that might be the easiest, but that's really kind of expensive, I think, for what it, what I need it for anyway. I thought about Google, the G Suite thing, but I want them all to sync. We use Dropbox now, but uh, not the, the paid version. And so she has to log into each one and download them. Okay, so you're wondering what the best way to move a quick a QuickBooks file around is? Every well, every day when it backs up, it backs up the Dropbox. But mm -hmm. she has to log in to each Dropbox account and download them. So there's a, there's a couple and, different there's a couple different ways to crack that nut. The first way, the way that Intuit would recommend that you do it, is you use QuickBooks Online. Now, I for a long, long time was opposed to. Yeah, well, and I would, and I did too. I did too, Lau, for a long, long time, for a number of reasons. One is I don't like cloud services, so I don't like the idea that all of my stuff is on the cloud, all my financial stuff is on the cloud. The second thing I don't like, I don't like that I don't get any choice in when to upgrade the software, when to use the new version, and all of that. What I have found, though, Lyle, the truth be told, is that because, especially if you're running a small business, because you have to stay current with all of the tax stuff anyway, and because the cost of QuickBooks is essentially the same as using QuickBooks Online monthly as it is to upgrade to the full version every year, it actually works out to be okay. And the reality is, if I ever was going to get off QuickBooks, I would get off QuickBooks altogether and go to something else. So for those reasons, I don't necessarily mind QuickBooks Online. Now, if you don't want to do that, you've got a couple options. The second option is QuickBooks actually makes a multi-user version of QuickBooks that you can use. And so that's uh, that's another way to crack the nut. And then the third way to crack the nut is you can use something like Dropbox, but not use Dropbox. So, for example, for about 15 bucks a month, you could set up a C file instance. In fact, if all you're doing is syncing that QuickBooks data file, because that's typically very, very small, you could probably get away with a $5 VPS from DigitalOcean. And, uh, and what you could do is you could set up a C file instance and have that file sync uh, between you and your accountant. And so when she walks in in the morning, every time you've made a change, it does a delta sync. So if you're not familiar with what a delta sync is, it's essentially a delta is the difference between the, the original file and the changed file. It's only syncing those changes. C-File is capable of doing that. So it's only going to sync so the changes. That wouldn't be very much data at all. No, no, not at all. So that's a way that you can, that's a way that you can, uh, that's a way that you could get that data to sync across. That's probably the easiest way to answer, to, uh, to solve that problem. Yeah. The QuickBooks thing online, the CPA is not real fond of it, but, uh, we, you're right. By the time you, you, you can go two or three years without updating, but eventually you have to, and it's, it's 
Yeah. Well, Noah, we love the show. And I can say, Noah said, use QuickBooks Online. Yes, sir, you can. Thanks for the call. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Make your voice heard. Become a part of the program. Joey calls from Arlington, Virginia. Hey, Joey, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, how's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, you bet. <clears throat> so my question for you is, um, say you bid on a job. Uh, you know, it's like a flat rate job. And you overlook something or you just go to do the job and you find there's something that there's just no way you would have been able to discover in a brief walkthrough. When is it appropriate to go back to the client and ask for more money? When it would, uh, otherwise financially disrupt your, uh, your business. We actually, we did the, this actually happened to me not that long ago and it was a stupid mistake and I should have known better. Uh, we, uh, we went to bid out a job and I sent a couple of high school kids out to, to count all they needed to do was count the amount of access point and network drops that we needed. I thought that was a fairly simple, straightforward thing. Stupid me, having worked in this industry for over 15 years, you'd think I'd know better than to trust some 15 and 16 year olds to, to, to handle something so critical. I didn't. And uh, they were way off, way, way off. And um, it was go. And some of the some of the drops that we had to do were some pretty gnarly places. We had to get some cable through. And I, I we looked at the numbers and looked at what it was going to cost us to go back and redo that. And I just sat down with the, the the business owner. I said, "Look, I'm really sorry. We made a mistake. I will discount your bill, but this is what the difference is." And you know what? Most business owners. They understand. They get it. They're, they've been on the other side of that. Where you get yourself into trouble, Joey, is when you, and I'm not saying that you would do this, but where people get themselves into trouble is they don't talk ahead of time. They don't communicate and they just send a bill that's a couple thousand more than it w was quoted to be. And then they go, well, we ran into some stuff along the way. That's not the way to go about it. Now, Oftentimes, and this happens because every job, there's no such thing as a uh, as a perfect job. And I always tell people there are two ways that we can bid a job out. The first way is you just let me come in, do the work, and I'll bill you for the amount of time that we're actually there. And that's going to be the cheapest way for you to get the job done. But I can't tell you what the total is going to be because I don't know. The other way that we can do it is I can bid the job out. If I'm going to bid, I'm going to bid high because I'm going to try to cover the unanticipated snarl that we're going to run into. And I'm always going to make sure that that bid comes out higher than what it could possibly cost us. Uh, and again, most business owners are okay with that. Now, a lot of them, for budget reasons, would rather have a number ahead of time, even if that number is artificially higher than it w than the realistic cost of it. But um, but that's the answer. And and so and. The other way that I've handled that is sometimes I'll go back and I'll look at something and because we've bid, uh, you know, higher than what the actual cost is, I'll go back and look and say, oh, we forgot about this or we didn't realize that. And I'll just eat the cost because at the end of the day, I'm still making money on the job uh, and it's not worth irritating the client over. But if it represents a significant capital interest for you, absolutely sit down with them and say, hey, you know what? We messed up. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll do the best I can to discount it in the bill. But if you want the job done, this is the this is the revised cost. Okay, and, and you find that a lot of clients are okay with just doing time and materials? Never, like ever. You, the first scenario that you mentioned? Yeah, where I tell them I'll just bill you what it actually costs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've had a couple. That, like I say, for budget reasons, most most places aren't willing to sign a blank check like that to say, well, I don't really know, I need something on paper. And I say, I'll tell them, verbally, I'll give you a ballpark, but I'm not putting anything into writing. Uh, if uh, and, and for that, the exchange is, it'll be pretty close, but it's and it'll but it'll be cheaper than if I actually bid. If I bid, it's going to be much much higher. Uh, and the vast majority of places will pay a little bit more to have it in concrete and in stone. And that's fine with me. I'm I'm fine with either way you want to do it. Uh, I you just got to know that I'm going to make money on anything I do. And so the way I'm going to get there is I'm going to artificially bid high.
Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for the call. Uh, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Make your voice heard. Become a part of the program. Jazz from New York. Hey, Jazz, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Happy New Year. How's it going? Happy New Year to you, too. So it is, you do say Happy New Year. Uh, yeah. Was that a debate we're having? No, well, it's a debate that Schmidt and I were having. He says that some people say Happy New Year's, and it's not plural, so yeah, it's well, wrong. People say different things. Some people say Steve, I say Brad. He's you not know, very inclined. <laughs> <laughs> That's getting clipped and sent to him. What can we do for you, Chaz? All right, so, uh, talking about some of our other friends, Chris and Joe, they were talking on Linux Action News about how the price of Bitcoin has fallen far, far below what it was at its highest point this year Mm -hmm. and what they expected it to be in their predictions episode. Mm -hmm. Now, you've been pretty, uh, you've been pretty adamant, I guess would be the word that, uh, Bitcoin is not a way to make money. Correct. However, here's something I was kind of, uh, had in my head since I think they said the price of a Bitcoin right now was 3,600 and I could always use a quick, uh, 2,500 extra in the bank account. Yeah. A little extra pocket change. The price of Bitcoin has fallen mean that the power level of the computer you use to mine it has also fallen. So for example, I know you can get full on Bitcoin miners. Does that now mean that since the price has fallen down so well, I'd be able to temporarily repurpose my gaming rig with a GPU into just mining that one Bitcoin and getting me that 2,500 I'm looking for? In theory, that is exactly what it means. As the as the price of Bitcoin drops, the interest in mining it drops, and as the interest in mining it drops, the difficulty level goes down. As the difficulty level goes down, the less powerful hardware is required to mine the same amount of Bitcoin. So in theory, you're absolutely correct. Now, I don't follow the actual mining math calculations close enough to be able to tell you that you're going to be able to do a good job or a mediocre job or no job at all of mining bitcoins with gaming hardware. I just wouldn't know. I don't follow gaming hardware that close and I don't follow mining hardware that close. I I look at it like this. There are a bunch of people at the top of a mountain and they're using dynamite to blow up big, huge chunks of Bitcoin and taking them home. And that's the commercial miners. I'm the guy at the very end of the stream that is sitting there with my little net and a couple little flakes float down and I grab them and I'm super excited because I like the technology. It's not about money for me. Uh, and so, but yeah, in theory, you're absolutely correct. As the price continues to, to drop, it's going to become easier and easier and less and less powerful hardware will be required to, uh, to do that. Cool. So I just got to wait it out until my ThinkPad can do it and then uh, we're gold. You know, if it drops far enough, we'd eventually get there. I mean, I, I'm not... I wouldn't hold my breath for CPU mining to come back on Bitcoin, but it's certainly possible. one 855 no, it's 855-450-6624. The email, live at com. Kenny joins us from Grand Forks. Hey, Kenny, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, how's it going now? Hey, pretty good. How are we doing? I'm doing pretty good. I got a question about Linux and running it off of an M.2 external enclosure. Okay. The question is, it, would it be possible to run, take a, a high-speed, high-capacity SSD, like an M.2 drive, throw it into an M.2 high-speed enclosure capacity, all that, and basically have a Linux Anywhere, super high-speed, on-the-go, plug it into anything, your set-type Linux setup? 
Yes. In fact, that is how I do uh, distro evaluations. When I try new distros, obviously I'm not going to blow away my production operating system on my on my laptop. And so what I do is I use a, a, a my, the Thunderbolt port to connect a M.2 drive externally. And Best Buy actually has uh, in stock they carry the like the Samsung M.2 drives, and you can actually have a, a, a without losing it with any uh, any performance degradation because remember m.2 is actually on that pci bus so you're actually connected to your motherboard there's virtually mm -hmm. no difference between having an external m.2 drive connected to the outside of the computer and having a you know like apple would do solder the stupid thing right to the motherboard there's no performance wise there's no difference uh convenient wise different story the second thing that you can do and this does carry a bit of a performance hit but it's still kind of a fun thing to do you can actually take kenny at one of those uh, flash drives like a usb flash drive and uh, USB 3 or USB-C flash drive and install Linux on it. Now, the downside is that the read-write speed isn't going to be that of an M.2 drive, and so you're going to lose a little bit of performance that way. Right. But as far as having a Linux distro that you can plug into any computer at any time, that's something I carry with me on my keychain. And that way I have an operating system that I know it's secure. Mm -hmm. I know that it's encrypted. I have all of my data on there. My VPN client is on there. So essentially, I'm just using their physical hardware. I'm not touching their operating system. And uh, and th that's what I do yeah. to, to be able to have my to carry my Linux distro with me. Yeah, that's brilliant. It's and I think that's might be where I'm going at the moment. Uh, as of recommendation by you, I have I bought a Dell XPS laptop and I've been loving it. And I upgraded the M.2 drive in it to a higher capacity to save a little bit of money. And what I'm thinking is right now I dual boot Linux and Windows because a lot of my creative apps run pretty much strictly on Windows. So I'm thinking I can save up space for Windows and actually throw Linux on a 200 gig high capacity, high speed storage and basically have my dual boot on a portable drive that I can plug into anything. Yeah, it's a great idea, Kenny. And I, it's again, it's one of those things that having done that, those are the kind of flexibility that's the kind of flexibility and the kind of expandability and and the kind of robustness that you just don't get from a Windows system or a Mac system. It's kind of the the thing that we kind of carry the torch with with Linux is that our our drives are bootable. In fact, one other thing you might want to check out that I think is pretty cool uh, is Tails. Now, Tails is a Linux distro that is specifically designed to be run live off of a USB key. But the cool thing about Tails, Kenny, is every time you restart the computer, it blows away the entire operating system and everything that you did inside of Tails. So it's a very highly secure w computing environment that you can use for doing all sorts of cool things. It also comes pre-bundled with Tor. So you have the ability to connect to an anonymous uh, network with anon uh, that, that encrypts and tunnels your traffic to anonymous nodes, and you're able to do browse the internet completely privately and securely. Tails was actually what was used by the journalists when they were communicating with Edward Snowden to uh, disclose all of the leaks that he made about the, the U.S. government. So we know it's been field tested, so to speak. I mean, he wasn't compromised. Tails is a very uh, well-renowned distro that you could, that's designed to be run live off of a USB drive. And so that's, that's again, that's kind of cool stuff that we get to play with in Linux that you don't that you can't play within some of the other operating systems, and so we're pretty proud of that. Again, you two can join the conversation. You can email us live at asknoahshow.com, or you can give us a call right here on the air, one 855 450 That's 855-450-6624. Is it Nuda from Telegram? Am I pronouncing that right? Guy from Telegram, you're on the air. Guy from Telegram going once. Going twice. Thanks for the call. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The, the email live at asknoahshow.com. Uh, you two can join the interactive Mumble Room. That's another way that you can join us. Hey, Mumble Room, how are we doing? 
Happy New Year, lads. So, uh, I, I know we don't. I, I don't have to dig real deep into this, but I see Naylor is in here. Naylor, uh, welcome to the show. First of all, hey, thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. So you also say New Year? Yeah, it's just one year. Okay, fantastic. Well, I appreciate uh, I appreciate you guys joining us again. If you have anything to say, just go ahead and poke us in the uh, in the in the chat room. And of course, we invite you to join our interactive chat room. You can do that at irc.freeno.net and. Uh, join pound ask noah show we appreciate you joining us there and having a conversation with us in there now this week mozilla is in some hot water they uh yesterday some people started seeing ads on the desktop version of the browser now the the ad offered them a 20 dollars amazon gift card in return for booking their next day with booking.com uh the uh they, uh, a couple of journalists reached out to Mozilla and they confirmed that the ad was for a Firefox experiment, uh, but that no user data was shared with their partners. And they said, and I quote, the ad appears to be at the bottom of Firefox's new tab page at the bottom of the desktop version with find a hotel button that takes the user to booking.com with text that reads ready to schedule your next family reunion. Here's a thank you from Firefox book your next hotel on booking.com and get a free $20 Amazon gift card. Happy holidays from Firefox restrictions apply. A second version reads, and then they have the text, which is very similar. Here is the issue. The issue that I have is not necessarily with the fact that Firefox is trying to fund a different sort of, uh, is trying to fund a different sort of, um, a different sort of revenue model that I'm perfectly okay with where I have a problem is with Mozilla's response when people started to question this. The answer that they gave was the snippet was an experiment to provide value to Firefox users with by offering a service provided by a partner. So let's be clear about this. Ads can be useful. At AltaSpeed Technologies, we use ads all the time. In fact, for a long, long time before we went to a different system, we used to run ads for the Ask Noah show before the Ask Noah show. So you kind of got some, you, you kind of got some, uh, you know, some, context of what we're going to be talking about that day. I'm not against ads. You can build value into ads and build value into your product and, and, and explain that to potential clients, let them know what they might be getting or what you can offer. Perfectly fine with that. I go into Best Buy all the time just to look around. So, and which is essentially a form of ads. They're putting product placement out and they're letting me go around and look at them. So I'm not against ads. Here's what I have a problem with. Don't pee down the, down my back and then tell me that it's raining. Okay, if you need to make money to provide me with a quality product, I'm okay with that, and so is everybody else. But let's be clear, nobody is asking for ads. No Firefox user in the history of Firefox user has ever opened up their browser and said, you know what I really wish would happen? I wish Firefox would build some more value into their, into their browser by offering me some deals. Nobody ever said that, okay? I've never met anybody that wanted ads, and this is a very, very dangerous time to be playing with quote-unquote new things. In case you haven't heard, Microsoft's kind of all over you and Chrome, and all of that. So, you know, if if Mozilla needs to take some steps to fund what they're doing, I'm perfectly okay with that, but let's be open and honest with the users of what you're doing here. Let's not pretend that you're building value. No, what you're trying to do is fund the development and continuation of Firefox, and that's perfectly okay. Just be honest about it. Again, one 450 noah That's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Kyle, North Carolina, you're on the Ask Noah Show. So, hi, my Arduino, I'll plug it into my computer, and according to everything I've read, 
it's supposed to be listed as slash dev slash DTY USB zero okay. or something like. But instead, it's been listed as slash dev slash hydro four. Okay. And I cannot get it to change. And I tried just going into the Arduino preferences and where it says, like, the COM port. Um, I, said, I set that as um, the Hydral 4, but it still won't connect. And it is using a really weird, like, kind of proprietary Arduino, but I have to use it for a project. I got you. Well, Kyle, I'll be very honest with you. I don't have the instructions to do that right off the top of my head, but what I can do is I can put you back on hold and uh, have Simon, who's filling in his call screener today, I can put you back on hold and have Simon uh, pick up and grab your contact information. And what I'll do is I'll reach out to you after the after the show, uh, and uh, we'll get back to you, and I will f I'll give you uh, exact directions on how to make that happen. I don't always have the answers, but I know the people that do. And the gentleman who would have the answers for you is a name by the a guy by the name of Jason Plum, and he is the uh, lead developer and one of the uh, one of the uh, proponents of Arch Arm, and he's done a lot with embedded systems and all of those kinds of things. And so he's my go-to embedded guy, device guy. And so I will reach out to him. I will get the answer for you, and then we'll get in contact with you, and we'll let you know because certainly we want you to be able to play with that Arduino and get it to work for your project. Now, joining us on the program yeah, my next guest is a gentleman I'm super excited to interview. We did a Telegram poll. It's a new feature of Telegram that you can do polls. So, of course, we're using it. And the answer that we got for what you wanted in 2019, more additional content. Now, we need a wrapper for that additional content. And to be clear, I'm not sure that shows are the way to create content in 2019. I think the way to create content in 2019 is with short, either long form, con long form interviews, short form content that's designed for YouTube. We need a place to release tutorials, the RH CSA guide that Steve and I are working on, all those kinds of things. And so the way that we're going to do that is with a new media entity that we're calling Mind Drip Media. Now, if you watched our tutorial the last couple of weeks on WireGuard, then you are already tangentially aware of this. But JT Pennington is a former producer of the Linux Action Show, former producer of Linux Unplugged, staff at Southeast Linux Fest, and a good friend of mine. And he joins me right now on the Ask Noah Show to kind of explain what we got going. So without further ado, JT Pennington, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, thanks a lot. Hey, and actually, now that I think about it, you've actually been on the program once before because I, I think we chatted with you about uh, your involvement with the Lumina Desktop Project. That is correct. That was a couple months ago. So essentially what you and I have been talking about for, and this really, as we'll get into, actually goes back a number of years. Um, and it's, this is really the fruition and, and putting, I guess, pen to paper or, or rubber to the road for plans that have been evolving over years. You and I have always wanted to do some things in the open source community because we see these essentially gaps um, where there needs to be uh, some content and where there there is a place where we can fulfill a, 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 a need. And so far, we've not been able to do that for one reason or, or another. And uh, so this 2019 is going to be the year that we finally make all of that happen. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really want to speak for you. Um, so you can correct me, disagree with me, throw me under the bus if you want once I'm once I've uh, once I've said what I've got to say. But I, let's well, let's just beat around, not beat around the bush and get right to the heart of the matter. Um, I've been working for Jupiter Broadcasting since the second half of 2013 when I started helping with production on the Linux Action Show. That later grew to include Linux Unplugged. I tried to revive How To Linux, 
and eventually I ended up settling in with BSD Now since 2015. But there was a lot more that I wanted to do. There were things when I worked for JB that I wanted to do, but they didn't really fit within Chris's vision for JB. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that there's still a lot of content that I want to produce, and I feel that the community would enjoy and benefit from. It took a conversation with a good friend of mine to point out something that should have been very obvious to me. The open source model doesn't restrict you to contributing to one software project. So why should media production? And you know what? He's right. Why not set up a model where those ideas would fit? So far, we haven't done this. But the community shouldn't miss out on content simply because I can't fit a square peg into a round hole. So we're doing it now. We are. And I, you know, I really, I resonate with kind of what you're talking about, this idea of an open source model fits in so many things. And when we apply that model, what we see is that it almost always works out to the benefit of those who are trying to implement that model. We see that in software, we see that in hardware. And so what you and I want to do, we want to implement that exact same model into open source. And we have all of these very, very smart people. And what I see when I look out and when I meet these people are, there's plenty of people that have something to add to the conversation. You know what they lack, JT? They lack the infrastructure and they lack the organization and they, they lack the uh, essentially the, uh, the resources to actually get their voice heard. And I've been fortunate through my job with AltaSpeed Technologies and with the platform that JB has you know, essentially started me off with that I feel like I now have those resources to give back to the community and to be able to bring those people and give them a voice. And so we have saw that happen with Eric, the IT guy, right? He was a guy, he's a very intelligent, well-spoken, well-presentable uh, guy who um, didn't have the resources to produce a show, but he wanted to add his voice to the conversation. So what we did is uh, we started working with him to produce a, a, a two minute a week or news read that he's going to be doing on Asno. And we're, you know, we're playing that this episode, we're going to play it the rest of the year. And maybe that evolves into a bigger uh, resource. And I just have to ask myself, how many other people are there out there that want that information? And then I have to ask the question, how many traditional media models are not being filled with open source content. You know, you've got new shows that are popping up on um, Netflix all of the time. You have new things that are coming out on uh, on downloadable content. But how many times do we take those traditional media models and fill them with open source content? And isn't it a shame uh, that there isn't more of that, more of that out there? Yeah, it, it is a shame that the open source model hasn't been applied to more industries other than just software development. And that actually leads into an idea that, that you and I have discussed about for quite a few years now, um, is promoting that change and the, the what we would call in the military a force multiplier of open source concepts to other things in the world. And we got the idea a while ago to produce an actual legitimate feature-length documentary about open source. Now... There are two documentaries about Linux that I can think of off the top of my head. And they're really good, but there's a whole lot that they leave out. While they do touch on the open source mindset itself, they don't really focus on that part of it. They are more about the history and the reasons that Linux itself came to be. And we want to focus on the game-changing concepts of open source and how it is a complete paradigm shift of thinking that 
we strongly believe that our world needs today. We want to bring to light how open source can be a positive force, not only in people's lives, but in society as a whole. But that's not the only thing that you know Noah and I want to do and we want to produce. There's so much more that we've talked about. Uh, in a short list that I made the other day, I came up with 11 different items. Now, to be clear, I don't mean 11 episodes of content. That's 11 unique ideas for content that Noah and I have discussed at length already. I've already laid a fair amount of groundwork on most of these ideas. So with most of the bootstrapping done, it won't take long for us to spin them up and start producing content for them. That's just what we have off the top of our head and we can hit the ground running with. There's probably a dozen or so ideas that have come up in conversation with people in the community over the past few years that if we commit time and effort to, we can spin those up as well. And that's not even considering all the ideas in the community that we haven't even thought of that someone else has, which would be a benefit for the community. One of the things that I always appreciate about you specifically and, and why I, f I feel very strongly that you really need to be a part of this and, and why we can't do it any other way really is because I, I'm, a, I'm a dreamer. I'm, I'm a visionary. I'm, I'm a guy that I can, I can lay in bed at night and I think of all the cool things that we can do with open source. You know what I'm not very good at? remembering things <laughs> and I'm not very good at planning and, and I'm not real good at, at, at actually getting down to, to figuring out the logistics of some of this stuff. And so I need other people around me to, to where, and you and I, like you say, we've come up with a lot of these ideas. And to be fair, a lot of the stuff that I think you're thinking of these, these 11 concepts for the most part were things that you came up with and just kind of pitched to me and said, Hey, you know, what would be cool if we could do this. And then I sit back and I'm like, Holy crap, I just fell off my seat. That's a fantastic idea. Let's do it. And then you look back and you're like, well, wait a second now. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to plan this out. We've got to budget out. We've got to lay all of these things out. We have to make these connections. But all of that to say, you and I have spent a lot of time building community relationships, building, uh, we have a great relationship with Red Hat, right? And I think the show has benefited greatly from the fact that Red Hat is a big part of that. And people from Red Hat are a big part of that. And I have you to thank because again, I had, you know, there was an idea of, hey, let's go out and do something at Red Hat. But you're actually the one that went out, talked to these people, built the relationships, got us in there. We were able to to to, to talk and 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 further those relationships. And now they've come back to to benefit the show in a whole other way. And you've done that the same thing with Southeast Linux Fest. So I have to commend you for your for your community effort and and your planning and your ability to kind of see things tactically, if if I can use that phrase. So. I and one of the things I've not been very good at uh, since the beginning of the show is we have all of these ideas and I try to get them off the ground and then I never get anywhere, partly because I'm just so bad at planning. And a great example of that, I don't mind calling out my faults and I don't mind owning them, is our is our distro review. You know, we were going to have people pick distros and then we're going to publish them on this site. And uh, we got all of the information and then I, you know, it dawns on me at the, at, at the 11th hour, hey, I don't know how to build a website like I envisioned in my head. And I pinged a couple of people in the community and said, you know, could you guys help me set this up? And people said, well, we could, but what you're asking is very expensive and very difficult. And that was just something that I, I you know, I hadn't, I hadn't really conceptualized. And at AltaSpeed, I've got people around me that, you know, when I come up with an idea and I say, hey, we're going to do this, or this is what, this is what I want to happen. Then all of the people go to work and they kind of make that dream come to reality. And I think I've started to take that for granted. So I want to do that. For media, I want to do that for Linux. I want to do that as a community effort. And I think with the community's help and your involvement with the community to get the right people involved and kind of structure the thing, I feel like we really have, we really have a, 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 
a very high chance of, of making that happen really, really well. So things like this documentary that we're going to do, you know, we have the connections with Red Hat. We have the connections with Southeast Linux Fest. We have the connections with people that work in the education system that have done amazing things on Linux. We need to tell that story. And we want to bring that story not just to the Linux audience. We want to bring that story to your mother, to your sister, to your brother, to your friend who doesn't understand Linux and doesn't really care about Linux, but they, they could relate to the idea of this community. We want to tell that story. We want to bring that to them. And this is, I, I think anyway, this is the best way that we can do that. Yeah, we, we really want this to not only be for the community, but from the community and by the community. And there's, there's a twofold aspect of that that I want to explain. Firstly, we want to be a vehicle for community members out there who have something to say and that they really want to put it out there. And you've touched on that. We want to be able to give them the chance and the opportunity to do that. We, you and I, we love the open source concept. Anybody can step up and contribute, even the smallest thing. They can contribute something to help make a product better, a uh, software better. We want to be able to be an opportunity for people to help others and open up content creation in the open source community in a way that it hasn't really been done in the past. We all love the open source mindset where anybody can look out at what's there and come up with a better way or a better idea and be able to do that and everyone benefit from it. We want to be able to enable others to be able to create and promote open source in that same way. Whether that's having people come on as guest hosts or giving people the ability to put out their own 15, 10-minute segment every week or so. We want to enable the community. We know that the community has a ton of great ideas waiting to be discovered. But we also know how difficult it is setting up the infrastructure, setting up a network, marketing yourself, creating an audience, etc. We want to be a resource point that people can come to to help bootstrap their own media content. Um, and, you know, you've talked about this before with the Ask Noah show. Yeah, we have. We talked about, I think it was episode 98 or 99, somewhere in there, right? Or, uh, maybe it was episode 100. Um, one of the things that, and th I'm doing this more as an speed thing than a, than a community Ask Noah thing, but one of the things that I have, I've had the unique opportunity to do is I've been involved in both the podcast side and the radio side. And so what that has given me is a keen insight into some of the shortcomings on the podcast side and some of the shortcomings on the radio side. And what I found is that uh, combining some hardware with some custom software that we can write, we can achieve near perfect audio quality across the internet. And that's something that nobody else is doing. And if we can do that and we can put together a list of audio components that are very inexpensive, that can be provided either as a rental or a loaner, or even if people buy that stuff outright, and if that's not possible, then partner with, uh, you know, radio studios that are around the country that have spare equipment and, and, and abilities to connect into our studio. If we can do that and provide that as a essentially podcasting as a service to independent content creators who have something to say but don't have a way to say it, that's a way that we can take that we can take that cohesive community effort and turn it into a project. And just like the folks who make Nautilus make the best file manager that money can buy, just like the folks that work on EXT4 make the best file system that money can buy, and just like the folks who make the uh, like the GNOME desktop make the best GNOME desktop that money, uh, the best desktop environment that money can buy, and then all of those people come together to form a 
cohesive Linux distribution, a, a given operating system, that because everybody has worked on their own individual component and it's the best that it can be, then it forms an operating system that's the best that can be. I think we can apply that exact same model to media production. We can take the folks, we can take the hardware, we can take the software that does the best thing that it does, and then we can take the folks who really understand their given niche, and that can be anything from uh, you know distro maintainers all the way down to the guy who writes the front-end client for you know whatever, Mumble. And we can take those people and say, you have something to say, we'll give you a platform to say it, and ultimately, it's the community who benefits because they're the ones that get to be the rec the receiver of this stuff. Yeah. To to pull it back to what I was saying before about the by the community, there's another there's another aspect of that, and that is that we want all of this what what we're creating. We want this to be responsible to the very community that it's serving. We really want to be a hundred percent community backed. We don't want to have a corporate sponsor. Now, is that reasonable? I believe that it is. One thing that I have witnessed over and over is the generosity of the people in the open source community. And I do believe that it's possible to be entirely community-backed. If, if we got a big corporate media backer, we would have to bend the knee to them if they required it. Now, JB was extremely lucky in that they found Linux Academy and they understand open source. If we were looking for a corporate sponsor, we probably would not be lucky enough to find a backer who is as hooked on open source as we are. Like I said, any any major corporate backer that's paying all the bills and funding everything has the ability to apply pressure to produce content that they want. And we don't want that. We want to be beholden to the community alone. By placing the financial backing in the hands of the community, we're giving you all a say if this succeeds or fails. If we start wandering off the path that the community wants, the community has the ability to check and bring us back. We want the community to not only have a say in what happens and what we do, but also to hold the reins and keep the ship of state, as the saying goes, upright. And this is an important issue that can't be ignored. Obviously, you and I, we live in the real world. There's no such thing as a free lunch. The bills have to get paid eventually. And there are going to be expenses involved in accomplishing what we want to accomplish. Now, not only financial, but also time-wise. Dedicating a lot of time towards a documentary, towards different content for the community, is a personal expense that we're willing to make. However, we're both business owners. Whatever time we spend on that is time we can't be spending in our business making money. So while we're not looking to make tons of money off of this, we would really like to not lose any money. Exactly. I'm fortunate enough where I've gotten to a point with AltaSpeed Technologies that I can pay my bills, right? I can put food on the table. That's not an issue. So the but where I feel like there is a shortcoming is all of the people that have supported this program since day one and have never asked anything in, in return. And, and that includes people like you. It includes people like Simon, who fills in his call screener, includes Sarah, who's here every single week and, and does all of the call screening. And it includes people like Ben, who's been here since day one and has, again, never asked for anything in return. So I would like to be able to offer 
you guys something as as a thank you and and to reward you for effort because people who do good work should be paid. And then in addition to that, I also would like to fund other ventures. I would like to take us to conferences and have us doing live shows from those conferences and, and get to some of the smaller conferences that don't get a lot of the attention. I think that's an important and underplayed aspect in, in Linux media. So and those are all things that require some funding. And it's never going to be about money. It, I, I assure you and I know you well enough and I know Simon and Ben and well enough to know that no matter what happens, we're going to continue to produce great Linux content because it's what we're all passionate about. It's what we all like. Um, but if we can find a way to not starve in the process, that would be absolutely fantastic. The question is, how exactly do we go about doing that? Because there are some problems with traditional funding models. There are pro There's problems with PayPal. There's problems with Patreon. There's problems with basically every funding model uh, that is out there. And so how do we solve that? Yeah, that's a complex issue that ironically has been, you know, a lot of people outside of just open source have been discussing recently with all the drama around Patreon the last few weeks. There's a lot of people that have looked at this problem and going, you know, community funding is really great when it works, but there's some rough edges that definitely need to be dealt with. Now, we have a Patreon account set up, but like I said, with the drama the past few weeks, we're also going to be setting up an account with a site called DonorBox. Now, as, as IT guys, we know how important redundancy is. You do not want to have a single point of failure. So, you know, we would do that in our server room. Well, we want to do that with backing as well. So we're going to have multiple options as time progresses and we find out good options. Um, so we don't have that single point of failure because as we're going about this documentary... <clears throat> As we're flying around the country doing interviews with people, the last thing we want is for, say, something else to happen on Patreon, and all of a sudden, oh, crap, we had flights planned, we had you know scheduling done with this person, and now we don't have the ability to go do that. We don't want that to happen. Um, so not having a single point of failure is... It, of extreme importance to us, and it's something that we are focusing on. Um, we will probably follow the very well-understood Patreon-type model, where while all of the content that we produce is going to be freely available to everyone, we'll probably also have some behind-the-scenes information specifically for people that have chosen to be generous and help us fund the production of content. So in that way, we will have some content just for backers, um, but we're not going to be relying on Patreon specifically for the management of that feature. We're going to have to handle that our own time until another solution presents itself. Uh, we, we plan to have monthly Q&As where basically you guys in the community can send us questions and then we're going to answer them. So you can get direct feedback from us on the things that you think we should be doing or if you have ideas that you want to give to us. You know, we want your ideas. We want to bring the community together around this. Um, we'll be doing bi-weekly updates on the project progress of our long-term plans, our long-term goals, as well as, again, touching on the short-term goals of what content we've got in the pipeline and we're working on. If we get enough support, we're going to pay it forward and give it back. We want to do hardware giveaways um, that people who are backers can win, as well as backer-only swag. Now, there will be general swag available for everyone, but again, for those that are being generous enough to donate to help us, we want to have something special for them. Uh, any money that does come in is going to be going to ex covering expenses for the production of content, equipment, 
and to compensate people for their hard work that they're putting in. We want to be certain that the community's generous donations are going where they should be and that they're not being spent on fun toys for you know Noah and JT. Uh, we want to be held accountable to the community as we work to produce content for the community. I feel like the Ask Noah show has cemented itself in a couple of values that you can come to count on. And uh, I want to just take a moment just to kind of reaffirm some of that stuff. We are 100 committed, 100% committed to open source. We're 100% committed to doing it on Linux. I've said since day one, I am not a, I am not a broadcaster who chose to do Linux. I have no formal training in broadcast. I, I mean, I did, I, I guess I majored in communication, so there's that. But, uh, you know, I, this was never a career I intended on, on being in. It was never a place I intended on being in. I just have a passion for Linux. Somebody stuck a microphone in front of my face, and I just haven't stopped talking yet. And, uh, and so to that end, if I can't do something on Linux, then we just won't do it. And uh, th so far, that has meant that it's not only not prevented us from doing content, it's forced us to do content better than everybody else. And so I think I look at that as an advantage, not as a disadvantage. And I know some, that's something that you're very committed to, JTN. It's one of the reasons I enjoy working with you. You're committed to open source and open source tools. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get snarky, but, you know, eh, I'll do it. We don't want to be the guys that go and give a speech about how great Linux is while using a Windows tablet to run our presentation. We don't want to be those guys. And we're not those guys. And if you come to any of the events that we do, when you see when you come to our, to our booth at Southeast Linux Fest, what you'll notice, everything is running Linux. And the quality is super high. When we did our live stream last year, we had people inside of the chat room, people posting on Reddit, people posting in Telegram, people sending emails into uh, both the Ask Noah show and to the organizers of Southeast Linux Fest and said, the quality is unprecedented. You guys are doing something incredible. It sounds absolutely fantastic. And so thank you very much for your live coverage of Southeast Linux Fest. So the question has to be asked, if we can do on practically no budget, if we can do that at Southeast Linux Fest, what could we do for other conferences? What could we do for other Linux organizations if we all came together as a community and made it happen? JT Pennington, the executive producer of the Ask Noah show, a longtime friend of mine and staff at Southeast Linux Fest. Thanks so much for joining us and taking the time to come here and be on the show and share in this announcement. Obviously, we're, we're going to have you back. We're going to talk more about this as more of these plans get detailed and timelines become available and all of those sorts of things. So we'll have you back and we'll finish up and wrap up there. But I just want to thank you so much for all of your effort and everything that you've done for the open source community so far. We'll get you back on the program real soon. Thank you, Noah, for having me, and thank you for you know being willing to take this step um, to really change the equation for open source media content and to help empower the community. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, you bet. We're late to the Linux Newswire. Let's get a look at this week's roundup with Eric, the IT guy. Here he is. From the Linux Newswire studio, this is the Weekly Roundup with Eric, the IT guy. Hey Noah, happy to be with you again, and here are your Linux and open source headlines. Longtime Linux staple VLC Media Player released version 3.0.5. This release brings with it a number of bug and security fixes, such as support for the AV1 decoder. Third-party tools have seen improvements ranging from MP4 and MPV formats to improved Chromecast and YouTube support. 
Blu-ray playback now supports menu access and improved video seeking. VLC is available as a native package, flat pack, and a snap. For a full changelog, visit VLC's project page at videoland.org. Canonical continues its commitment to bringing modern technologies to the wider community through snaps. Canonical announced the release of Micro K8s. Through the snap, users can have a full Kubernetes deployment in seconds. By using Micro K8s, users benefit from universal packaging, automatic updates, and a proven security architecture provided by the snap platform. Systems administrators and developers can now deploy Kubernetes to their desktop, server, or cloud system with a single command. Linux kernel 4.20 was released on Christmas Eve. Linus Torvalds, creator of the kernel, encouraged developers to finish their commits prior to the year-end holidays so the team could take a well-deserved break. The highlight of this release is the official removal of the controversial spec algorithm and encryption backdoor proposed by the NSA. The 350,000 lines of new code brings with it improvements for CPUs and GPUs across the board, including Intel Ice Lake enablement and AMD Vega 20 support. One notable holdout is the WireGuard VPN, which is anticipated to be released in the next cycle, potentially labeled kernel version 5.0. For LinuxNewsWire.com, I am Eric, the IT guy. Now, Noah, back to you. Thanks, Eric. And uh, Eric is usually with us at the bottom of the hour. We'll be from here on out. The only issue is, again, uh, today we had a, a guest schedule, and so that ate up our program a little bit sooner than we would have anticipated. Getting a lot of questions in the chat room about, is this replacing Asnoa? Is this the spearhead of Asnoa? No, it's it's entirely separate from Asnoa. This show will continue. Always has been a baby of mine. Always continue to be. We just have other content that doesn't fit into traditional models, and we want to make sure that you're not missing out, as JCT so eloquently put it, by putting a square peg in a round hole. Hey, did you know this episode is available as a downloadable podcast? That's right. To subscribe to the feed or download the yet latest episode, visit AskNoahShow.com. There you'll find not only the latest episode, but all of the articles referenced in this episode. You can get the latest by following us on Twitter at AskNoah. We're out of time this episode, but we'll see you next week on Tuesday. Bye.